us are familiar with these cupcakes. And then over here on this side are Deborah Reams cookies. Those are pretty amazing if you ever had them. So I usually don't go for the cookies. I go for the cookie dough in mass quantities. And my wife thinks I'm going to get salmonella poisoning every time I, I, I have that. So I, we're not allowed to eat any of this. But let me ask you just hypothetical. What if I had this dream and I came to you and told you, I said, guys, this is amazing news. I had a dream last night. This is pretend, by the way. I had a dream last night, and it was all of these desserts. Every kind of dessert that makes your mouth water, whether it's ice creams, cupcakes, cookies, homemade, bakeries, pastries, whatever it is that is your sweet delight, that was in my dream. And I looked and I'm like, oh, this is amazing in this dream. And, and then a voice came and said, all those things are good to eat. Yes, I know. They are good to eat, right? Go ahead. Eat all of it. No consequences. Just eat it all. All of them are good to eat. Would that be a weird dream? It'd be a little bit of a weird dream because we know that it's probably not good to eat in large consumptions the items that are on here, like Pastor Juan does whenever he takes me out. There's large consumptions of sweets is probably not, so in my head, probably not good, but someone's telling me it's okay. We're going to talk about a weird dream today in Acts chapter 10. That was much like the fake dream that I just told you about, but there was an actual dream about food. And it's very strange. We're going to talk about that today. So you know that we have, since January, um, we're coming up on a year of talking about what is what? Say it out loud. What is? So we're answering the question, what is church? And we're doing that through the book of Acts. Now, <clears throat> Acts chapter 10 what we're going to be talking about in Acts chapter 10 is going to take us to a very uncomfortable place today. For some of us, it's going to take us to a very uncomfortable place. And here's why. For some of us here in this room, some of us measure our spiritual success by coming to church once a week. And when we leave church... We do nothing to advance the kingdom of God, and we do nothing to share the gospel in advancing the kingdom of God. We are not on mission for God once we leave this space. Now, that's just some of us. Now, if that pricks a little bit, if that's a little pinch, you know, just take it as a pinch. Don't take it as a judgment. But if we evaluate our spiritual life based off of Coming to church once a week, doing nothing for the mission of God the rest of the 166 and a half hours for the rest of the week, then we are missing out on the abundant life that God wants us to live. We're missing out on that. In fact, I would take it a step farther in saying we're actually living a little comfortable in our spirituality if this is all that we do and nothing more.
So what we're going to see in chapter 10 is that the early church did things and went to places that were uncomfortable for the religious people around them. And so there are things that the church needs to be doing today and places that the church needs to be going today that will make the church attender once a week only people a little uncomfortable. So that's where chapter 10 is taking us. So then it starts out in chapter 10 with two corresponding visions that were given by God to two people from two very different backgrounds. Okay? And so what's a vision? So a vision is a means of communication that God gives to certain individuals throughout time. Much like a dream, right? In fact, uh, Pastor Juan preached in Acts chapter 2 back in March. He preached this verse. And it says this in chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Do we see that happening in the last days? Are we in the last days, last day people? So is this happening? Or did it happen for a period of time and stopped? Because the word of God says in the last days, those things will happen. People will prophesy. People will have visions. And people will dream dreams. Just something to be aware of. Because as we define what is church, maybe that's something that we need to be looking to. Or if it does come up, we don't look at those people as, oh, they're crazy. We have to be aware of anything that the Spirit of God might do. And so again, this is going to take us to an uncomfortable place. So chapter 10, verse 1. Here we go. So, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. Now, what was a centurion? Centurion was a man who was in charge of a hundred soldiers. In order to become a centurion, you had to have a career in the military of Rome for 15 to 20 years. So that's a long time. And then he would take those soldiers, they were battle ready, and they were ready to go up against anybody that was an enemy of the state of Rome. So one guy in charge of 100 military ready. And they were willing to be ruthlessly violent against anybody, enemy against Rome. And so a centurion only took orders from governors and senators. Governor like Pilate, who ordered the execution of Jesus. It was more than likely he told one centurion. And then they took his 100 and they crucified Jesus through that order. And so if a senator or a governor said, go and kill, a centurion would take his 100, hey, let's go guys, and they would go do as they were told. That's a centurion. Now, we know nothing of this Cornelius guy except what his occupation was and what we're about to find out. Verse 2. This has got me so curious, by the way. There is no backstory to this. Who wrote the book of Acts? It was a guy, a doctor, by the name of Luke. Was he a Jew or was he a Gentile? 
He was a Gentile. He wasn't Jewish descent. He was a Gentile. So he's writing this down. And so here in verse 2, he says, He, Cornelius, and all his family were devout and God-fearing. How did he get that way? So my curious mind makes me think, how did he have exposure to understanding God being of Roman descent, a Roman soldier for 15 to 20 years, having the Roman philosophy mindset? For some reason, there was somebody who told him about God, and it made him God-fearing and devout. And he gave that also to his, that gift to his family, who were also God-fearing and devout. But not only that, he gave generously, verse 2, he gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. This man who was seeking God daily was on mission for God to advance God's kingdom. In verse 3, one day, at about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. Remember now, Roman centurion, fearless of anything on earth, feared the angel in front of him. Stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up, I love this, come up as a memorial offering before God. His lifestyle of what he was doing as response to I love God was he helped the poor around him. It came up as a memorial offering to God and it grabbed God's attention to send an angel to this Gentile. Now, angel finishes up. Send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. There's a lot of Simons here. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Go check it out. That's the address. Send your servants. And so Cornelius sent two servants to go fetch after Simon Peter. Now, the next day, here we are in verse 9, second part of verse 9. The next day, Peter went up on the roof to pray. I love this description about Peter. I don't know why Luke put this detail in there, but it says this. He became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. I can relate, right? We can all relate to that right now, right? After talking about these desserts. So, so he was hungry and wanted something to eat. You know, I don't know if you've ever watched Chosen. Have you ever watched The Chosen? They actually have um, Peter looking kind of fit. And in my imagination of everything that I've read, I've always thought that Peter was kind of the uh, chubby uh, uh, disciple. And, and the only reason being is because on a foot race between John, who was supposedly the youngest, on a foot race to Jesus' tomb, Simon was left way behind. And John just, and he was there waiting. And so, of course, Simon being the braver, older, kind of walked, move out of the way, kid. And walked in. So I always thought in my head that, man, Simon was kind of chill. And then this kind of affirms he was hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. What in the world is that? Have you ever smelt food that just sends you, oh, oh my goodness. Was it this? Was that what it's talking about here? But this was not actually that. 
It's actually a vision. He fell into a vision from God. And this is what he started to see. He saw heaven opened with something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. Verse 12. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. So he's looking at this thing. There's all sorts of animals coming in on this sheet. And he's like, what in the world? I'm so hungry. What is happening here? Then the voice told him, get up, Peter. Kill it and grill it. Kill it and eat it. But you can eat it. Kill it. Grill it. Eat it. It's yours. That's the voice. And so again, if, if you had a dream and there's all sorts of yummy delicacies, and you heard a voice said, eat it. It's good to eat. Would you argue with that? Peter argued with it. And Peter was a good Jewish boy. And he argued, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Whoever this is, I am a good Jewish man. I follow Leviticus 11. I do not eat anything impure, unclean. So he's talking back to God in this vision. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times. Isn't that a curious number? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. Yeah, you're smart, dude. I don't know who your parents are, but they're amazing for teaching you that. How many times did Jesus go to Peter and saying, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yeah, you're looking at my fingers. That's cheating. Okay, here's the next time. And what did he do here? How many times? Peter was stubborn. He had to be told numerous times. He wasn't first-time obedience. It was just like three times. I got to tell this guy over and over again, three times. So that's kind of just a subconscious message, I think, to Peter. It's like, oh, there goes the three times again. When will I ever learn? See, while Peter was still trying to understand this vision, this is when the servants showed up the next day and told Peter, hey, uh, you know, we uh, belong to Cornelius, and Cornelius really wants you to visit his home. And, um, and he's like, okay. He's trying to manage these thoughts. He's trying to figure out, oh my goodness, am I just hungry, or what am I seeing? Was that a vision from God? What is this about? I told you, it seems like a really weird dream, especially coming to a Jewish young boy who was taught these things about Levitical law that, oh, I can eat these things now? Strange, right? And so, the next verse, he shows up to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together his relatives and close friends. So, isn't that interesting? He calls together his relatives and his close friends. When you experience something good, don't you want to share that goodness with someone else? So Pastor Juan, when he, when he experienced something tasty, <gasps> I know who I can share this with. Hey, Moore, you want to go for a cup of coffee? Yeah, I'd love to. Dude, you got to try this dessert. It is amazing. 
And so when you experience something good, you want to share that goodness. And, and Cornelius took this to the level as he had been experiencing the goodness of God. And the natural thing to do when you are truly experiencing the goodness and greatness of God is to bring along your family, bring along your friends, and saying, hey, you've got to join me in this. This is, actually, this is amazing. This is God that I serve, that I love. Uh, come and join me. So he brings together the whole family. And so this, this house of Cornelius is filled. And then, hey, centurions made pretty good money. I don't know who made this statistic, but in study, it says they would make anywhere between 5 to 25% more than your regular soldier. So they, they made pretty good money. So he had a pretty large house, all of them coming, and then, and then so Peter does this. He goes in, he enters into the house, verse 25, Cornelius met him and fell at Peter's feet in reverence. I love Peter's response. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found this large gathering of people. Now understand, Peter was raised Jewish. And so part of this uncomfortableness that he has is going to come out in the first statement that he shares with this group of lar this large group of Gentiles. So he's uncomfortable with this. And he actually states why he's uncomfortable in the next verse. And he says this. You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew, he's a Jew, it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Wow. That's pretty harsh, right? We're going to get into Cornelius's, I mean, uh, Peter's upbringing here in a minute. But Peter says, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Verse 29. So when I was sent for, I came without raising a fuss, with no object, uh, objection here. But Peter still doesn't know why he's there. He says, may I ask why you sent for me? And at this moment was when Cornelius started to tell him the vision that he had to send for him. And then a light bulb went off and Peter knew, ah, the dream. Nothing that God made is unclean. Hmm. And there's a connection. And he starts right in. Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Say that with me. God does not show favoritism. Say it. God does not show favoritism. Remember that. When we look down our nose at an individual, you got to remember that. God does not show favoritism. But accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. See, God desires the salvation for all people, period. All people. And Peter had been instrumental in bringing about faith in Jesus to the Jews in Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 8 to the Samaritans, and now in Acts chapter 10, he is introducing Jesus to these Gentiles in Caesarea. Peter had been taught 
that God favored a particular food and particular people. Does that sound familiar? Without poking the bear? A particular food and a particular people. Understand I purposely didn't use a peculiar people. But I just did. So now you're like, hmm, where's he going with that? So he had been taught that Gentiles were unclean and had no access to God. This is Peter's upbringing. But now Peter is confronted with a bunch of Gentiles in front of him, hungry to hear the gospel. And he begins to preach the gospel to them. Now understand, there are five components to the gospel. I want to ask you, just ask, answer this question in your head. Don't raise your hand. When was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody who needed to hear about the love of Jesus? Just in your head, I want you to go back in your little memory file. And it could have been today. It could have been yesterday. But when was the last time you shared the gospel with someone? There are five components to the gospel. Every single one of these components that Peter preaches are so relevant to every single part of our lives and, and our circumstances and what we go through. So here are the five components. Now listen, if you want, before we get into those five components, my, head, my brain is going crazy right now. So if you want to learn how to, how to share the gospel, if you want to learn, just try it. It's scary. It is uncomfortable. Because you might be rejected. You might be asked questions that, I don't know how to answer that one. But just do it and see what happens. It is the most uncomfortable thing to be in front of somebody who you know has very little knowledge of God. But there's a window of opportunity where you can share the gospel. And you can share any one of these five components that Peter preaches about. First component is basically this. And it's going to be real short. First component is, God the Father sent Jesus the Son to earth. Huge implications there. The second one is, Jesus taught some really cool stuff. The third one was, Jesus healed and he restored people all over. He healed and restored. The third one is, the fourth one, sorry, I can't count. The fourth one, Jesus was crucified huge implications. And then he was raised from the dead. Five components that are in every aspect of our life that people need to hear that hope about all of his teachings, about being restored and healed, about the knowledge of why did he even come, about his crucifixion, of why did he have to die? And he was raised. What hope does that bring us? Now, again, if you want to learn how to share the gospel, you can do it. If you're a book reader and you want to read a really good book, go Google a book called uh, Gospel Fluency. Gospel Fluency. Read that book and it becomes every part of your life and every part of your conversation with people. And so, unbelievable. Sharing the gospel. Peter shared the gospel with this group of Gentiles. It wasn't a new sermon. 
He had preached that sermon numerous times, but it was a new audience that he was preaching to. And so Peter seems to be getting ready to give an invitation. He's getting to the end of the sermon, and then he gets interrupted. Now, I don't know if anyone here, you know, uh, Pastor Juan Rodriguez, he, he, he has spoke to thousands of youth in his lifetime. And if you're in youth ministries, your sermons are always interrupted by something. It could be a noise. It could be a kid falling back. It could be a, something always is interrupted. This was a different interruption. Peter's in the middle of preaching a sermon, and he's interrupted by the Holy Spirit. Whew. Watch what happens here. So this is the last sentence of Peter's sermon in verse 43. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Last sentence. Verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit poured out on all who had heard the message. What does that look like? Well, it was very similar to Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And then when the Spirit came, so did the unmistakable signs that Acts chapter 2 had. People started to speak in tongues. What is that? For those of you who have charismatic friends, you might wonder, is that what Pastor Mark is talking about? Oh, well, you'll just have to wait around and see in a couple sermons here and there. To, so we can define, what is that speaking in tongues? What is that biblical uh, view of speaking in tongues? And then also praising God. So this 45, verse 45 says, The circumcised believers, which is a weird description. You know, a weird description. So, I mean, how, how would you like our greeters to greet some of you? Hello, circumcised believer. How are you? Uh, I'm okay, I guess. It's just a weird thing to describe, right? So this is, again, Luke, who's a Gentile, describing exactly who was in the room. And that was Jewish men who had converted to, to, to being a follower of Jesus is now being described as circumcised believers. This is important. And it's important for you to be here next week because Pastor Juan talks about this in chapter 11. Because these Jewish Believers called here circumcised believers witnessed Gentiles receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit and they testified in Jerusalem to the other Christian Jewish Jesus followers that this actually happened So it's important that circumcised believers were there who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. That's the importance behind that. And you'll know more about that next week. So then Peter said this. Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They need to be baptized. Peter's pressing that. No one stands in the way. They need to be baptized. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days, and he did. Nothing prevents someone who believes in Jesus Christ and who is seeking Jesus Christ to be baptized. It's not a race, not a past, not a religious heritage. 
for Jews, including Peter, listen carefully, there was much energy that was focused on who was on the inside circle and who was on the outside of the circle. There was a lot of energy in that. And all of a sudden, God showed Peter that the circle was gone. All gone. And Jesus had brought a new reality to the Jewish Jesus followers. The new kingdom was going to be a kingdom for the entire globe. And the issue was no longer who was going to be kept out of the circle, but who was going to be brought into the body of Christ, which is the church for the whole globe. What if Peter told Cornelius this? Sorry, I just don't hang out with Gentiles. What if he told the angel is, uh, Caesarea, that's a Roman city. I just don't hang out with Romans. What if Peter said that? So I just wonder, what kind of barriers do we place in front of people in need of the gospel? What kind of judgment do we place upon people in need of the gospel? Some of the barriers is maybe the way they look. Maybe it's the style, the way they dress. Maybe it's a tattooed, pierced up, colorful hair looking person. And maybe that's a barrier for you. Maybe it's the music style that they listen to. And that's a barrier. Sad to say, maybe it's their ethnicity. Maybe it's their religion or lack of religion that can be a barrier. The only barriers that the gospel cannot overcome are the barriers that you place on it. Because the gospel knows no geographic barriers. The gospel knows no economic barriers. The gospel knows no racial barriers. And the gospel knows no political barriers. And I just wonder how have, have I, have you, it's a question for all of us, have we become too comfortable with the circle that we are in? First Sabbath of February, um, one of our elders, Derek, Hubbard stood up here and preached. And he had everybody do an online live poll where they can text in their answers. And one of the questions he asked is, what was your first impression coming today? And it was interesting, some of the things that he got back. He says, you know, and I still have these, but I still remember this one by memory. So one person said this, you know, what I've experienced is, is this. I wasn't born a Seventh-day Adventist. And if you were born a Seventh-day Adventist, it seems like you belong to each other. But it's really hard to get into that group if you weren't born a Seventh-day Adventist. Others were, eh, or no one really said hi to me. I mean, this is this room. This is some of you who answered this this way. So it begs us to ask this question of what are we making this space? And if you're only making it a place that you come once a week and you're doing nothing the other hundred and 
something hours of the, what is there, 168 hours? Yeah, 168 hours, 166 and a half hours, depending on how long I preach. If you do nothing for the sake of the gospel the rest of the week, and this is it, this is all you do, is it enough? When people do come, when people are searching, how will we respond? How will they respond? Will they see us as a people of, man, these are people who are so passionate and crazy about God? So I have a couple questions for you to wrestle with. Who is God calling you towards to share the gospel? I'm going to bring that question up again because that's going to be an important one. I want you to think about that. Who is God calling you towards to share the gospel right now? What uncomfortable places is God calling you to? My kids used to go to this school, um, ICS. Um, I don't even know what that stands for. International Christian School. There you go. And um, man, my wife worked with a teacher that her and her husband felt that God was calling them, of all places, to Afghanistan. It was like 10 years ago. I'm like, whoa, that is, that is seriously crazy faith. But God put it on their heart. So, so what uncomfortable places is God calling you to? It doesn't have to be out of the country. And how are we loving those that are still searching? How are we loving them like Christ? So I don't know if you've ever heard this story about Mahatma Gandhi. It's incredible. I came across it. And um, if you don't know who Gandhi is, one of the most respected leaders of modern history. And what people don't really know, they knew he was a Hindu. But what they didn't know is he really respected the teachings of Jesus. And he often quoted, whether it was in his writings or in his teachings, the Sermon on the Mount. And there was a, um, a missionary by the name of E. Stanley Jones who came and asked him this question. He says, Mr. Gandhi, though you quote the words of Christ often, why is it that you adamantly reject becoming his follower? And Gandhi replied, oh, I don't reject your Christ. I love your Christ. It's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. Now, what's the backstory of that? The backstory of that is Gandhi was studying law in South Africa. And he, at the same time, was studying the words and teachings of Jesus and became enamored with this teaching. So curious that he started to walk up the steps of a church. And before he got to the front doors, there was a barrier in the form of a human being. And the barrier said, this is not a place for you to come. Called them names. And he walked away. We can do better. We can love those that are not easy to love. So back to my question. Who has God called you to love? Who is God calling you towards? Think about this. 
I don't care how, you guys are little people up here. How old are you? 11. This is for you too, you little 11 year olds. This is for you, listen to me. I don't know who the oldest person in, in this room is. They probably don't want to be pointed out like an 11 year old, but this question is for every single person here because I believe that the Holy Spirit can talk to you no matter how old or young you are. And I really want you to think and listen, open your ears to the Spirit of God telling you this, if a name pops into your head, maybe that's the person that you need to love like Jesus loves. So I just want to do like a little exercise here. If you have a name that's been put on your heart, put in your mind, I want you to spend the next six months, these aren't supposed to be quick things, building that relationship. If it's a broken relationship, start taking the steps to rebuild it. Hey, if it takes you 12 months, it doesn't matter. But six months, intentionally seek the Lord in how to approach this one name. Do you know somebody who needs God that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, has put on your heart right now to love back to God? It's my prayer for you that that is what you wrestle with. That when you wake up in the morning, that name comes to your brain to pray for. And eventually, after praying for some time, maybe it's a text. Hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee and some other stuff. Build that relationship. Love them back to Christ. And then when there's a window, and there will be a window, then you share the gospel with them. Whatever part of the gospel it is, those five components that I shared, there will be an opportunity for you to share that. A six-month test. If half of this group does it, there would be 50 people that come to Christ at least. I don't know how many people are in here. But commit to that one single name. Father God, in the name of Jesus, in this moment, Lord, I pray that you will pour your spirit on each of us. So, Lord, that we can be emboldened to love generously, to share our lives generously to someone who may be far from you. Lord, you've given us those names on our hearts. Now we just ask, give us the boldness to pursue them in the name of Jesus. Thank you.